we have an election coming up and there are things that we are concerned about, of course, and, and, uh, but we know that you're the one that's in control. We do pray for our leaders. We pray for our president. We pray that there would be a turning to you. Um, that there would be uh, a seeking you for help because we know that that is not the case in, in uh, many of our leaders. Um, that in our nation we have seen a forsaking of you. Uh, in the leadership, uh, in uh, the political realm, in the courtrooms, um, in the schools. Uh, but Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on this nation. And, and it begins with the church praying. That's what we pray for and standing for truth and not giving in to um, compromise and unrighteousness, but Lord, desiring to, to um, be light. Um, and, and you are our hope. We know that. So we pray for our nation that we love. We pray for our nation that you have blessed so tremendously that there be a turning back to you and a, and a forsaking of our sins. And Lord, I do pray that we, uh, Lord, look to you um, for all our blessings and provision. It, it, our strength is not in numbers. Our strength is not in any of us. It is in you alone. So Lord, uh, any open doors that we may have here that you present to us, whether it has to do with next door and uh, maybe being able to... Um, to, to be blessed in a way that we can expand or something else. Lord, you're our great provider. And, and Lord, you're the one that guides us as you provide for us. And we're thankful for this place. We're thankful that it's full on Sunday mornings and usually on Wednesday nights. But, but Lord, we want to continue to be in that place where you have us. We don't have to strain and strive. But Lord, we do ask that you would just open those doors that no man shuts and you shut doors that no man can open. And I was also a church, uh, promise to the faithful church of Philadelphia. So, Lord, we just commit it to you. We thank you that we're here again tonight. Just bless this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we've been going through Isaiah here in this section the last couple weeks, we have seen, of course, that incredible chapter of the suffering Messiah in chapter 53. And then in chapter 54, the, the, the promise that God is going to fulfill to restore Israel. Because you see, much of Isaiah, he's been dealing with uh, God's people that were involved in idol worship and, and false worship. And they weren't turning back to him. He's pleading with them. You really see the heart of the Lord in uh, the words that are spoken to God's people here. Turn back to me. I am the Lord. Don't worship those idols. They're worthless. They cannot help you. It's foolish to do that. And, and we see that the Lord brokenheartedly and tenderly is, is speaking to them. He says there's going to be calamity. There's going to be consequences for your sin. So he is there ready to receive them if they would just turn back to him. I've redeemed you. I created you. Uh, I'm, I'm the one that uh, has redeemed you for my purposes and you are turning away from me. And so the Lord uh, here is, he says, even though there's going to be consequences for your sin and rebellion against me, he never left them without any hope. And he says, the day is going to come when you are going to turn back to me and that you're going to be restored as a nation. Of course, speaking of the millennium reign, when Jesus Christ comes, 
comes back, their Redeemer, their Savior as well as the Savior of the world. He's our Savior. He's the only Savior. And he, when he comes back, he will restore Israel. We know that uh, he, God will keep his promises that he gave to them. And that's what we saw in chapter 54. So as we discuss that in detail, then chapter 55, salvation also was going to be brought to the Gentiles as well as the Lord gives that invitation to everyone who thirsts come to the waters and drink and you who have no money come buy and eat and why do you spend money for bread that does not you know um, satisfy and 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 um, listen to me do what is good and then he would say that seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near and that's a call for anyone of us who desire to come to the Lord to come to the living waters and drink freely salvation is a free gift that is given through the cross of Jesus Christ we cannot work for our salvation and the Lord's invitation is always come and drink of me why do you want to spend wages for that to eat bread and buy bread that does not satisfy and here's the thing the Lord created us to have relationship with him and closeness with him and if we pursue you know the bread of the world and the water and the wells of the world we're going to be thirsty and we're going to be hungry and you will not be satisfied true satisfaction and fulfillment comes by a close relationship with jesus christ coming to salvation walking with him and continuing to drink of the living water that he has for us so that's chapter 55 into chapter 56 and then at the end as we finished quickly last week of chapter 56 he goes back to indicting them he goes back to to calling them back to him to the foolishness of their idol worship and in the last uh, verses in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 56 he's calling out the leaders he's indicting the leaders he begins there. You're irresponsible. Uh, you are watchmen who are blind. Now, a watchman was one that was to warn the people. They were the ones that were up on the walls looking out. And if they saw danger, they warned the people. He says, you're like a sleeping dog, you, you know, that can't bark. You're lying down. You love to slumber. And, of course, he's already I, indicted them on their sluggishness spiritually. And, and so he, he's saying they are shepherds who cannot understand. And uh, everyone is for his own gain. And, and, and intoxicating drink is what you're involved in. So he's calling them out, the leaders of the nation, the political leaders, the spiritual leaders particularly. And then he's going to go and he's going to address the people in general. You know, one of the things that, as we talked about very briefly last time, is that as parents, as leaders of our homes, we're called to be watchmen. There's a lot of things out there that can really bring harm and compromise into our family. And we want to, to warn. We want to guard. We want to protect, uh, you, you know, what comes into our homes and to the minds and hearts of our kids. And that gets harder, doesn't it? Because uh, there's so much stuff of the world that's so easily accessible uh, to them. And so we need to be watchmen. We need to warn. And, and it is true with the church as well. I really believe that one of the reasons that the church, at least in our nation and in the Western culture, is so weak is because of irresponsible leaders. 
They're not being watchmen. They're not warning the people against sin and carnality. And rather, there is compromise. There's a form of religiousness, and that's what we're going to read about here. But they're not standing firm on the word of God. And my responsibility as a shepherd is to also not only feed the sheep, but I am to protect the sheep as well. I'm to be a watchman on the wall. I am to give warning. And I am to, to do that so that we can be healthy. And, and that's what God has commissioned me to do. Uh, so we can be safe. We don't want to go into compromise. And, and what happens to churches, I've kind of um, got a, a, a little bit of an understanding of it this summer when we were talking to somebody who was elderly that was in a very liberal church, in a progressive church. And you hear that term, progressive church, progressive government, and, and all of this, but they accepted homosexuality and that lifestyle and, and, and didn't really believe in the truths of the scripture. And, and um, there was great compromise. Oh, there's, there's religiousness in those churches. And, and they say, we, we love people and we believe in the sayings of Jesus, but much of the scriptures they dismiss. And they've forgotten about the gospel, what the gospel really is about. And when you talk to those who have been in a church for so long, those churches at one time, maybe 30, 40 years ago, were conservative. They, they stood on the truth of God's word, but they began to compromise and they began to slip into that which is false. And that's what's happened to God's people here. There was a form of religiousness, um, but they had begun to worship that which was pagan worship and get involved in immorality and all of this. And that's what we see much in the church today with certain groups and certain churches. And, and so much so, I remember we, we talked to one that um, they had just heard the gospel from one of my family members. And, and they said, we really appreciate it. Our church is liberal, and we're trying to get used to it. You see, it's not a matter of trying to get used to it. It's a matter of standing up to it and saying that we need to get back to truth and to the gospel message. So I pray for us, as long as the Lord tarries, that we would always stand for truth and not compromise what the Word of God says and to protect. And remember Paul in Acts chapter 20, that he said to the Ephesian elders, you know how I warned you day and night with tears about how, you know, uh, ravages wolves are going to come in and speak in perverse thing and drawing disciples after themselves. He said, I warned you day and night for three years about that. So we're here to protect and guide, and they weren't doing that. So as we go into chapter 57, he now begins to address the people. And he says, first of all, that the righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace, and they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. And so as we look at this, the righteousness uh, of those who were standing for righteousness, that is, there was a remnant of God's people, they were being persecuted. And, and the idea uh, of those that, um, you know, were being addressed in verses 9 through 12 of the previous chapter, there were those who were saying this isn't right. 
And here the Lord says that the time's going to come. It's interesting in verse 1 that the righteous is taken away from evil. And he shall enter into peace. And, and they, though, they're going to rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. And so he's talking about what is interesting here in verse 1 is that you who are righteous, you're going to be taken away from this evil. And uh, what the meaning there is this this face of evil that you see. I'm going to take you out of it. You're going to come to a place of, of, of peace. You know, I don't know what the days ahead hold. We saw a horrendous act this last weekend on a Jewish synagogue where 11 people were murdered by a shooter. And we have seen... You know, those kinds of things happen, but anti-Semitism has really grown in our country over the last couple years. And we get the, um, the uh, when we read the scriptures about the last day, we see very clearly that anti-Semitism is going to grow as we continue towards the second coming of Jesus Christ. That Israel is actually going to find themselves standing alone. That Jerusalem is going to become a cup of trembling. So it's no surprise that we're seeing that the forces of darkness are coming more against the Jewish people. But I also believe that that very well is going to be true for us as believers as well. You know, we are living for the first time in nearly 2,000 years, about 2,000 years, where uh, God's people, the Jews, and the church are existing together. They did for a short time the early church till 70 AD, and then Israel was out of the land, and the Jews have always been around, but now Israel's a nation again, and the church is a holy nation. God has a plan for the church. He has a plan for the Jews, but I believe that just as we see very clearly that anti-Semitism is going to grow as we get closer to the return of the Lord, the indication also is given that it very well could be with the Christians, and that is with you and me. And I pray for, again, revival. I pray there's an outpouring of God's spirit. But we do know that in the tribulation period, when we go through the book of Revelation, we're going to see that the two groups that are going to be persecuted very heavily by the Antichrist are who? The tribulation saints, the tribulation believers, and um, the Jewish nation. The Antichrist is going to come after them. So it seems to indicate to us that as we get closer, and I believe that the church, we're going to be raptured out, that we're going to be taken to that place of peace, as he says here, uh, that the righteous is taken away from the evil. And then we're going to see that, um, that tribulation period that will take place after the rapture of the church. And that's a promise for us. But I do believe that we are going to be ones that could very well see, you know, persecution come to us more and more. I don't know. I pray that it doesn't, but we need to stand firm in the things of the Lord and also uh, in the ways of the Lord. So he continues to address in verse 3, But come here, you sons of the sorcerers, you offsprings of the adulterers and the harlot. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out the tongue? Are you not children of transgression, offspring of falsehood? So you've played the harlot, you committed spiritual adultery. They were mocking God uh, as they would stick out their tongue. You know, somebody stick out your tongue at you. They're mocking you. And, and they were arrogant in their rebellion and flaunting their sinful ways. Isn't it amazing how we see more and more that sin ends up being flaunted? 
that there are some things that are real shameful that ought to be seen as shameful, but is flaunted. People's sin and, and wickedness, and it's accepted, and then we're told to celebrate it. And, and, and it's like the Lord is saying, don't you know what you're doing here? Don't you know that, uh, that what you're doing, you, you, you're doing this in front of me? You know, you mock me. Who do you think that you are in a way is what the Lord is saying, that you do this? But he goes on in verse 5, inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree and, and slaying the children in the valleys and under the clefts of the rocks among the smooth stones of the stream in, is your portion. And they, they are your lot. Even to them you have poured a drink offering. You have offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? as he continues addressing them, the, the wooden groves in high places um, that the Canaanites had left and placed in there um, before Joshua and the children of Israel came in and began to take the land, they were places of idol worship. They were places of great immorality. And keep in mind that idol worship in the ancient time, immorality was involved in that. And so much so, what they were doing, as it says, that you were slaying the children in the valleys and under the cliffs of the rock, that what they were doing, particularly in Manasseh's time, but they did it in Ahaz's time as well, when Isaiah began his ministry, that they would take their children in a valley of Gehenna and they had a bronze statue of Moloch and they would actually put their first, firstborn sons on those arms as they heated up the metal to sacrifice them. And Moloch was a god of prosperity. That's how bad it had gotten here. Here you are slaying your children in the valley of Gehenna, which was just south of the temple on that idol of Moloch. You're sacrificing them to a false god, which you think is the god of prosperity. So here, as the Lord is grieved and saying these things, you're involved in idolatry and great immorality in the high places, the, the places of worship, slaying your children there. Um, and you thought you're going to prosper? And here you are, you're offering a grain offering, and you've poured a drink offering. There was a form of religiousness in doing this. One of the things that I pray for us as parents that, that we would not sacrifice the spiritual well-being of our children and grandchildren because we're pursuing prosperity, because we're pursuing success of the world. And listen, I understand that we want to do well. We want to provide for our families. We want our businesses to succeed. Of course we do. And our families, you know, they appreciate how hard we work. I'll speak for myself. One of the things I always wanted to make sure that I didn't do, to be careful of, is I did not want to sacrifice my wife and my kids on the altar of ministry. And so busy in trying to be successful and a successful pastor and, and everything in ministry was a higher priority than my family. And to understand this, that my ministry begins at home with my wife and with my kids. And that is scripture. And if I am not doing that well, then to be here and, and to sacrifice my family for success and prosperity. You see, I'm included in this. 
to have an idol that is, you know, ministry. And there's a real fine line. I will work hard. And I will serve you the best way that I can. But one of the things, Lord, do not let me sacrifice my family in trying to be successful or prosperous. And it's that way with any of us. And sometimes it's a real fine line, isn't it? But Lord, that my family, husbands, your wife, you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And your children, your grandchildren, that the greatest legacy and inheritance we can leave for them is a godly inheritance. So here, you know, they were wanting to sacrifice their children, you know, literally on the arms of Moloch, thinking that they're going to be um, successful and, and they, they would offer the grain and drink offerings and mix it in with pagan practices and smooth stones and uh, they worship God but not in truth. The offerings were given to idols. In verse 7, on a lofty and high mountain you have set your bed. Even there you went up to offer sacrifice. Also behind the doors of their posts you have set up your remembrance for you have uncovered yourself to those other than me and have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed. You have made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed. You, you have saw their nudity. In verse 9, you went to the king with ointments and increased your perfumes. You sent your messengers far off and even descended into Sheol. And you were wearied in the length of your way, yet you did not say that there is no hope. You have found the life of your hand, therefore you were not grieved. As the Lord here is speaking, he's speaking about their spiritual and physical immorality. What they were doing was actually from the pit of Sheol, the pit of hell. And they were set in their ways. They were not interested in turning away from the idols and the perversity. And yet the Lord is saying to them that you have no hope. You have no hope. Matter of fact, he has said to them over and over again that you are weary and you're barren and you're weak and you don't even know it. You know, there are people around us that we see that they're weary and they're barren and they're very weak and they don't even know it, do it? Because they don't have the Lord and they're not living for the Lord. And any of us who pursue whatever idols may be in our lives or pursue the world or sin or carnality, we will find ourselves in that way as well. And there's something about sin that brings blindness. That's the work of the enemy. He wants to blind us. And we know that 1 Corinthians tells us that he is the God of this age who blinds those who have no understanding. He brings a blindness is what happens. And we see that illustrated in the book of Judges with Samson. When Samson was playing around with sin, wasn't he? And as he played around with sin, what happened was he ended up being bound up he ended up having his eyes plucked out as well. And you see, the same thing happens if we play around with sin, if we're pursuing, you know, the things of the world, we end up being bound up, we end up being blinded, we're weary, we're weak, and we're barren, and we don't even know it at times. And that's why it's very important for us to stay close to the Lord, be sensitive to hearing from the Lord. And then in verse 11, And of whom have you been afraid or feared that you have lied and do not remember me, nor taken it to your heart? Is it not because I have held my peace from of old, 
that ye would not fear me. They would not walk in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. They didn't remember the Lord. And I'm sure that you young adults, that Jesse, as he's teaching through the book of Judges in the beginning chapters in chapter 2, that you saw how that generation after Joshua, the book of Joshua is a book of victory, isn't it? A book of faith. They went in um, after 40 years of being in the wilderness, and that generation, um, they, uh, they took the promised land. There was victory. They believed the Lord. Um, it was a wonderful book. But when you go into the book of Judges, as soon as that generation after Joshua comes on the scene, Judges chapter 2 tells us that they forgot the Lord in the works of the Lord. They forgot the Lord in the works of the Lord. And that's why it's important that parents, that we spend time with their kids, that we not only teach them about the Lord, but also we declare to them the works of the Lord. Be sure to share with them what the Lord means to you, what he has done for you, his wonderful faithfulness to you, the works of the Lord in saving you and forgiving you and making you a new person. And we continually want to do that. We want to do that with the younger generation. We want to do that with our children, with our grandchildren, whoever it might be. As you get older, to not only tell them about the Lord, but tell them how good he's been to you, what he means to you. And I think that's so important to have that witness and that testimony to be thankful, um, to, to have that joy of the Lord in our hearts, that they see the benefits and the blessing that you have in your life because you've walked in the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is, again, it's not a tormenting fear, an unhealthy fear of the Lord. It is a reverence for the Lord that I worship a holy God and, and he is the creator of all. He knows all. And, and walking in the fear of the Lord has brought blessing and benefit in my life. And there is wisdom in that. And declaring the works of the Lord to others is what you and I are to do. So that next generation doesn't forget about the Lord. And then in verse 12, I will declare your righteousness and your works, for they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. But the wind will carry them all away. A breath will take them. But he who has put his Trust in me, so shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain, is what the Lord says. And so, looking at this, He's reminding them that your idols are not going to help you, they're not going to profit you, they're not going to deliver you, they're going to be blown away. They are worthless, is what they are. And we don't see one example, do we, of, you know, the Old Testament where those idols actually helped the children of Israel. They were completely worthless. And the Lord is saying, I'm your help. I'm your strength. I'm your deliverer. Uh, I'm the one that's true. Those, those idols are false. And, and you have your collections of them, and still they cannot help you in any way. And then in verse 14, and one shall say, heap it up, heap it up, prepare the way, take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. Take those obstacles out of the way that hinder your relationship with the Lord. He's saying, heap it up. Take it away. Prepare it away. Take the stumbling blocks away is what you are to do. Take it away. If there are stumbling blocks that are in our lives, we need, in the honesty of our hearts, say, Lord, are there stumbling blocks? Are there things that will cause me to stumble? And then we need to get those things out of the way. 
Jesus said that if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, then you're to, to cut it off. Now, Jesus is not talking about bodily mutilation. He's talking about if you're involved in sin, then you need to deal with it radically. You need to get rid of those things that's causing you to sin. So for you and for me, are there things that we are looking at that we know is sin? Pornography is a huge problem in our culture and in our society, not only to the non-church, but to the church. The statistics are absolutely incredible. What pornography is doing, destroying families and marriages, the repercussions are great. And if it is a problem, it needs to be dealt with radically. And, and, and you know, it's, it's accessible. And get rid of those things. Have accountability. And that's what you're to do. Be an open book. You know, one of the things here, I always tell this, the, the board, the staff, you can check my computer anytime. You're welcome to come in at any time unannounced and check it. And, and I leave my computer here. And, and those are just things that we put in place that we don't want anything to stumble us. We don't want anything. We want to be accountable. We want to be ones that, that are an open book that guys know where I'm going. They know what I'm doing. I communicate with that. I don't isolate myself. So I, I want to be accessible. Sue, she can look at my phone anytime. And, you know, anything that comes in. And so we need to make sure, guys, you know, it used to be you can get this buffer, this thing, that those things, you know, it, it's just crazy what's out there, what you can pull up. Be careful. Be careful. And if you have a hard time with it, bring your computer here. We'll take it up on the roof and we'll throw it off the roof for you. And, you know, we, we will. I'm serious. If there's things that you're involved in, you know, that you're going to the bars after work with the guys and you think, ah, maybe I shouldn't, but... You know, I'll, I'll witness to them perhaps and you go in and you're thinking you're going to share a verse or two but you're polluted by the music and everything else and you know the beers and you know if that's a stumbling then don't get rid of it go home come here we got something going on all the time most excellent way Monday night men's study Tuesday night Wednesday night you know, we got things going on all the time where you're going to be in a place of safety and, and blessing. And that's why fellowship is so important. But get rid of the stumbling. Get rid of the stumbling blocks. We all need to be careful in the, in the day in which we're living in because there's a lot of stumbling blocks that are out there. And we want to make sure that, that we're dealing with it. Um, we need to get rid of the high places. He's already spoken of the wooden groves and high places. You know, uh, when the you look at the kings of Judah that some of the good kings, that um, they removed those high places and they removed the wooden groves because, again, it was a place of temptation um, for the people to go back and begin to get involved in idol worship and immorality in those places. Some of the good kings, even though they did what was right in the sight of the Lord, they did not remove those high places. And there's a footnote in there. And I used to think, why is there a footnote? However, they left the high places in the wooden you know, groves. The reason is, is because they left those places of temptation. So do not have those high, you know, groves and those wooden, you know, groves 
places of temptation, those hangouts and things like that, get rid of it out of your life. Get rid of those temptations. And how we need to encourage one another. And it's, listen, it's not legalism. It's wisdom. And it's wisdom. They remove the stumbling places. Get rid of those things that cause you to flesh out and be in a place where you're near God's people in a place of prayer. You know, sometimes we have to turn off the TV and put down the computers and the social media and really spend some time in the Lord, seeking Him, looking to Him. Saul, Samuel told him, this is the word of the Lord when Saul was king. 1 Samuel chapter 15. You're to go out and destroy all the Amalekites. Get rid of all of them. Get rid of the sheep and oxen. Nothing is to be left because what they did to my people in the wilderness, the Amalekites, were horrible. They snuck up on the rear of the children of Israel. Uh, they plucked them off. They, they killed the women that were, in, you know, were carrying babies. They were terrible. And the Lord said that judgment was going to come to the Amalekites. Saul, this is what you're to do. You're to get rid of all the Amalekites, sheep and oxen and everything. Saul goes to battle. He comes back after he had made a monument of himself. And, and he comes back. There's a great celebration, uh, you know, that Saul has. And, and there's um, this, you know, uh, Saul just being very, you know, Arrogant, and Ari had made an image for himself. Look what I did in defeating the Amalekites as he went to war against them. He comes back. He has the best of the sheep and the oxen, and he comes back with the king of the Amalekites. And he says to Samuel, he says, Samuel, I did all that the Lord's commanded me. And Samuel said, really? Then what's the bond of sheep that I have in my ears? Oh, that's just the sheep we, you know, brought back the best for the sacrifice, trying to be spiritual. Well, who's this guy? That's the king of the Amalekites. I brought him back as a trophy, if you would. But I commanded all that the Lord has told me to do. And it was Samuel that said, shut up, Saul. You have not been obedient. It's better to obey than the sacrifice. You were not one that did what the Lord told you to do. And now the kingdom's going to be given to another man after God's own heart, that would be David, but he would be rejected as king. And we can read that and we think, boy, you know, the Lord was really hard on Saul. He did mostly what he was supposed to do. So he brought back, you know, Agai, and he claimed that he destroyed all the Amalekites but Agai, but apparently he didn't because it would be a few years later, that about 15 years later, 13 years later, that David, that he's in Ziglag, and who comes and burns the homes down, takes David and his mighty men's family away captive, it was the Amalekites. I've done all that you commanded me to do, but I got a guy, and apparently there were some Amalekites that he didn't destroy. But I'm a little busy because I'm going to set up a monument for myself and celebrate myself. And 20 years later, guess who killed Saul? An Amalekite. There in Mount Gilboa. You might have the mindset. I might have the mindset. We got to be careful, all of us. I do mostly good. I like to keep this little agai in my life. I like to go out and party a little bit. Or I like to 
you know, go with the guys and do this. Or sometimes we watch, you know, some movies or whatever that causes you the carnal out. And you're setting your eyes on things, doing things. You got this little agai in your life. And you haven't gotten rid of all of the Amalekites. And I know that's hard. But I see a spiritual principle. You keep that agai around. That Amalekite, which is a picture of the flesh, you keep it around, keep entertaining it, it's going to end up doing you in and wiping you out over time. And Saul found that out to be true. So let's get rid of the stumbling blocks. Let's get in a place of safety and security in the things of the Lord. Because it's hard. It's difficult in the day in which we're living in. So here he's told to, to, to do that. Get rid of those things. Uh, prioritize your relationship with the Lord. In verse 15, for thus says the high and lofty one. Uh, that's interesting. I, I was thinking, what does that mean, his name, the high and lofty one? It speaks of uh, his exalted position that his position is above all. His name is above all. And of course, Jesus, his name is exalted above all other names that, that everyone in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth will bow the knee to Jesus, to the glory of God the Father. So the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. In verse 17, for the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry. And he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners. So we're to have a contrite, a remorseful spirit. Uh, David wrote in Psalm 34, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and such to have a contrite spirit. So we are to be humble before the Lord. Have a hearts that are soft before the Lord. That's what he's looking for. What's in our hearts. And then in verse 19, I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. His desire was he wanted to bring restoration and healing to come near. But he says this, but the wicked are like the troubled sea and they cannot rest. Whose waters cast out mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. No peace for the wicked. That is a spiritual law. No one is exempt from that. And anyone who pursues the world and wickedness and carnality and sin, the warning is given, there will be no peace. To the unbeliever who refuses to turn to the Lord, there's no peace with God. You see, our sin has separated us from him. But now that we come to Christ, we have peace with God. But Christian, listen, the more that we pursue the world and those struggles of the flesh, there's not the peace of God in us, right? And we can sense that. Whenever we sin, whenever we struggle, whenever we're involved in carnality of some sort, worldliness, that there's no peace in us. We have peace with God. We're forgiven. 
I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But if we pursue the world and the things of the world, the pleasures of the world, we just lose out on that peace of God that he desires to have in our hearts. And I don't know about you, but I want the peace of God. I want the comfort of the Lord. I want to have a humble and contrite spirit towards the Lord. That's what I pray for. Because I know that I'm constantly being bombarded, just as you are in the things of the world that can take me away from that. And so we need to, as the Lord is calling us, get rid of the stumbling blocks. Come to me. I love you. I want to give you a peace that rules in your heart. I want to comfort you. Oh, I want to use you. I want to help you. Because the world is not your hope and the world is not your, your help. And so we're going to end there tonight and we'll go into chapter 58 next time. But Lord, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you that we can be here um, to, Lord, be reminded of the foolishness of sin and idol worship and how, Lord, it just brings terrible consequences. And uh, Lord, you tell us this so that we can do well. So we're not deceived. And so, Lord, for all of us, you know, we do war with the flesh. Uh, there's a war that goes on as long as we're on this side of eternity. And what my prayer is, is that, Lord, that we would look to you every single day to help, to walk in the Spirit, even as Galatians says, that we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That, Lord, that we would put away the stumbling blocks and for us that are here, if you have stumbling blocks, you know what they are. I know what mine can be. You know what yours are. And Lord, we want to get rid of them. We know that the enemy will place them in front of us at times. Sometimes we entertain those stumbling blocks. Sometimes we even may pursue them. But Lord, we want to pursue you. So if there's things that are not right, we want to get rid of it. We want to deal with it. Lord, you're calling us to turn away from it and turn to you. We don't want any guys in our life and be comfortable with it. Lord, we want to get rid of all of it. And Lord, I know that we can't do it on our own energies and flesh and efforts. It's only you working in us day by day, moment by moment. Oh, Lord, I think about how far I got to go. But, Lord, I do want to be one, as I know many here, to pursue you. Even that old hymn that we sing, how I need you every hour, Lord. I thank you that we're here to be encouraged and blessed. And the call of the Lord on our hearts here tonight would cause us to continue to look to you each and every day, every moment. Father, I thank you for, for tonight. I pray you bless us as we head home. Keep us safe. Lord, I thank you for our children. Thank you for our grandchildren, nieces and nephews and Lord, may we be a testimony and declare to them you, your truth, 
and we would remember the works of the Lord and be thankful to declare to them what you mean to us and how you've blessed us in every way. That we, Lord, that we would encourage them and we always bring them to you, that we would pray for our children. I pray that we would lift our children up, our grandchildren, our families up to you, Lord, because the enemy is working overtime to destroy. He's the destroyer. And Lord, that we would present them before you, that we would be like Job who sacrificed in the morning on behalf of each one of his kids. He said, lest they sin. And may we give a sacrifice of prayer to you and praise to you, praying for our children, our grandchildren. We pray that, Lord, that you would keep them close to you because there's a lot of deception and the world is pulling on them. Lord, I also ask that we would be a watchman, that we wouldn't be sleepy spiritually and slumber, and that, Lord, that we would give warning to those who are linked to us in our lives the devastating effects of sin and carnality and the rejection of God's word. That we would give truth in love, Lord. Be a light to others. So Lord, again, thank you for tonight. We look forward to when we meet again on Sunday. And Lord, I thank you for this fellowship. I thank you for this church. Again, we give you the praise and glory that we can have fellowship, that this is a place that we can come, be safe and blessed and benefited as we just worship you and fellowship with one another and continue in God's word and praying for one another. Lord, keep us close to you and strong. And again, we want to be a light to our community. We want to, to be used in the days in which we are living. We are here for such a time as this. So use us to bring salvation to Greeley, to Weld County, to those around us, reaching others, to our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and to our family. So, Lord, thank you for tonight. Bless everyone here as we go our way. Keep us safe. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord is good, isn't he?